Good morning, everybody, and welcome to this episode of 30 Minutes to President's Club. My name is Armand Farouk. I'm here with my co-host, Nick Sigelski. And today, we have the one and only, the author of The Transparency Sale and founder over at Sales Melon. He's the one and only, Todd Capone. Nick, why should people listen? Want to talk about removing friction from your sales cycle and making the customer's whole process to buy easier? And by the way, your process to sell easier? Listen to this episode. Three, two, one, transparency sale. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. If you get an email and the action required on that email is going to take you less than two minutes to do, do it on the spot. It's not worth adding it to your to-do list, having to look at the item, remember what you need to do. That's going to take you more than two minutes anyway. So do it on the spot, get it off your plate. Now we documented our best templates and tips to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang. And you can get that documentation for free at the link in the show notes. Did you know that 60% of proposals are viewed on a mobile device, which means if you're sending a tech stock or a slide deck, the formatting is going to look really ugly and you're going to make a bad impression. Luckily, our friends at Quiller are here to help. Quiller pages are built on the web, which means they're mobile responsive and they actually look good on a cell phone. And Quiller is having an offer right now to upgrade your proposal from an ugly tech stock to a Quiller page for free. So you can see what your boring proposal looks like as a beautiful Quiller page. There is a link in the show notes to to take advantage of the offer. Today's deal acceleration cheat code is brought to you by Pipedrive, which is a CRM built by sellers for sellers. The best way to drive your pipeline forward is to every single day, pull up a list of all of your open opportunities and look at each opportunity by stage and think, what can I do today that will increase my likelihood of winning this deal? That's how you keep your ops moving forward in between meetings that you have on the calendar. Now we documented five cheat codes that can help you cut your sales cycle in half with Pipedrive there's a link in the show notes to steal them. Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Woodpecker. When you're sending a sales email, you generally want to avoid putting punctuation in the subject line. If you've got an exclamation point, it makes it seem like you're shouting at them. Look at this amazing offer. And a question mark just smells salesy. So avoid punctuation. Now, if you want to steal my full sales cadence from my friends at Woodpecker, there's a link in the show notes for you to go get it and try it for free. Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Super Cadence by Influ2, which helps cut through the noise of oversaturated prospecting channels. If you want to get your prospect's attention, you got to do stuff a robot would never do. One of my favorite plays is getting warm introductions to the accounts that I'm targeting via salespeople who work at that account. Salespeople help salespeople. Another approach could be using Super Cadence to run SDR ads to put a face to the name. Now, we worked with Influ2 to put together a special toolkit on ways to humanize your outreach, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes. All right, Todd, welcome to the show. We start every single episode with your top three actionable takeaways. Let's get your three. Number one is focus on helping the buyer predict. That's what we're wired to do. As it turns out, we'll get nerdy on this later, but transparency sells better than perfection. We as human beings, we're wired to try to predict what our experience is going to be like. That's why negative reviews work on a website. It helps the buyer Build trust right from the get-go, engage, prioritize, decide faster. So at its core, focus on helping the buyer predict. That's your job. Beautiful. What's number two, Todd? Number two is if you want to reduce losses to the status quo, remove friction from the buying journey. And I could go on, like I've been researching the crap out of this one uh, lately, but as it turns out, our perception of a reward is biased by the journey to get there. 
All right. A crazy example for you is let's say you want some tacos. You run out. You're like, I'm going to go to my favorite taco place. You run out. You see the line is down the street. You're just like, tacos aren't that good, right? You were in the market. You were excited about getting these tacos, but the journey to get there was unexpectedly difficult. So you chose the status quo. We do that. We force that in our selling efforts all the time by creating difficult journeys to get to the reward. And it drives customers to the status quo. So number two, again, is remove friction from the journey wherever possible to keep that reward looking as sweet as the ice cream you just got in line for. Wonderful. What's number three, Todd? Round us out. And yeah, number three is practice clinical empathy. And what I mean by that is, you know, empathy is such an overused word. It's just like, hey guys, I hope you're doing good through these trying times. Like that's BS empathy. True clinical empathy is being able to experience what it's like to be in your prospect's shoes, right? And understand what's going on in their day. And one example that I know we're going to dig into is as a CRO in my last role, I was getting 100 to 150 emails a day. I was in 30 to 35 meetings per week. To get through 100 to 150 emails, I could get through them pretty fast. But just imagine video. We're all of a sudden using video to prospect. Just imagine I've got 20 three-minute videos in those 100 to 150. Do you think I'm going to spend an hour going through them? We need to understand and get into the shoes of the executives and figure out where the best place is to use those and not ruin them by making them generic because it's not going to be long now that your executives are going to stop reading or watching videos altogether. There's still time to save it. So let's talk about this number two, the removing friction from the journey. So I'm so sick of the crap where it's, I have to do my disco before I see the demo. I have to be at power before I discuss price. I got to get the value before I give them a proposal. I got to do this before I got to do that. But then some of that stuff, you know, you got to do a little bit of it, I'm sure. So what's some of the junk that we put in front of our customers that we need to immediately throw in the trash that is conventional sales wisdom? Yeah, I mean, it almost is a combination of looking at number three and empathizing with the person that's come to you interested, right? I mean, imagine I fill out a lead form on your site and I'm like, I am interested. And wait, somebody gets back to me and it's a SDR that's like, I'm going to put you on the witness stand and I'm going to ask you 50 questions, right? I'm just going to pummel you. And you were here, you were this excited. And at this point, now you're down to here. They pummel you with these questions at the end. All right, you're going to share something with me? Can I see a demo or see what this, you've just earned the right, congratulations, to talk to an AE. Like, oh, all right, cool. When does that happen? That'll be next week on Wednesday. Uh, Okay, cool. Next week on Wednesday happens and that person puts me back on the witness stand, starts asking me a lot of the same questions, asks me some more that I know are going to be used against me in a court of law later. And then they're like, can I see it? Can I get the demo? Oh, uh, we're going to have a solution consultant get on and then they'll do the demo. All right, when's that? Uh, That'll be next Monday. All right, cool. Now I've completely forgotten why I filled out the lead form in the first place. Monday comes, I see this demo and it's completely generic and use nothing that was learned from the first 10 days and this whole process. And and now I'm like, oh, you know what? I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. And then the rep is just like, gosh, how did we lose to the status quo? I, I can't believe they just wasted our time. Like, wasted our time? It's not them, it's you, right? And that's those are examples where we're not empathizing with the process, right? That when I fill out a form, I have something that I'm interested in and I'm trying to get to a prediction. 
Now, if we combine it with number one and this idea of why do reviews work on a website, right? 96% of us look at reviews before we buy something online. But the amazing thing is 85% of us go to the negative reviews first. You skip the fives and go right to the fours, threes, because we're trying to predict, right? That's when a website's acting as a salesperson. When a human being is acting as a salesperson, we've got to empathize with the fact that their brain is trying to predict what their experience is going to be like using your products and services. The more that we can inject in and capitalize on that excitement that they had when they filled out the lead form before we lose them, because we've got certain steps, Armand, to what you said about like, we've got processes and they got to earn the right. Well, you're going to be earning the right to much more status quo decisions. And you're going to earn the right to have to do a lot more prospecting to make up for the crap that you just caused. I want to go back to the thing that you were talking about, about the three-star Amazon reviews or the two-star Amazon reviews that people are looking at. And I, I always have this insecurity where I don't want to pull out all of the things that I suck at, but I know you have a different perspective on this. So I, I was, could you talk about that a little bit? Like, how do we do our own three-star Amazon reviews without totally shooting ourselves in the foot? Well, first of all, the, the term that I want everybody to know is uh, comes from a supermodel. So like, how would we not inject the wisdom of a supermodel into sales? But Tyra Banks coined the term flossom. And flossom means to embrace your flaws, but know that you're still awesome, right? That data around how we all look at reviews and 85% of us go to the negative reviews first. The core element there is that a product on a website that has a review score average between a 4.2 and a 4.5, that's optimal for purchase conversion. In other words, a 4.2 sells better than a 5. And what I mean by that is I'm not advising anybody go into your next sales cycle and go, hey, this is why we suck, right? Like, no, think flossum, think 4.2 to 4.5. Again, every company, every solution in the world, every retailer, every person as an individual, they give up something to be great at their core, right? And that something is probably easy for that customer or that prospect to find anyway. The, the, this whole element of leading with your flaws and leading with transparency, it, it sells better. The behavioral science, the data, the research, all that in the practical application tells us that it sells better than perfection. When we start to position our products and services that way, you'll find that customers engage faster you win faster, your sales cycles go down. Uh, I've got tons of examples of sales cycles going down so dramatically, blow your mind. Win rates go up, we qualify deals in faster that we should win. And then the deals we're gonna lose anyway, we lose those faster too. So we spend our time in a better way with the opportunities that we should be winning. Should I be giving price before I've established value, before I'm at power, before I'm on meeting three, seven or eight, or should I just throw it out there and get this thing out of the way so they move. If I'm talking about a seven-figure solution with a five-figure buyer, one of us is in the wrong discussion, right? That was always my feeling is you got to set the range. You got to get somebody in the framework of, you know, again, when, we, when I talk about we're wired to try to predict what our experience is going to be like, we're wired to try to figure out whether the juice is going to be worth the squeeze. Now, the way our brains are wired is if all you do is talk about how great that juice is going to taste, but I have no idea what the squeeze is going to entail, my brain won't file it. It's going through a filter of going, yeah, but yeah, or, or, what's the downside? There was a recent research. I, I read research. Like I don't read books anymore. I read 
literally behavioral and decision science research. That's my nerdery. Oh, and sales history, if you ever want to go down that path. But this was a study in the Journal of Marketing Research in October. The title is Open Negotiation, the Backend Benefits of Salespeople's Transparency in the Front End. And this talks to the fact that when we actually lead with that price range, that, hey, Armand, before we get too deep into this, an investment like we're talking about, customers like you that have some of the challenges you do, we're probably going to be in this in this range, right? Now, if that's going to be trouble, like let's address that now. Let's get that out of the way. Let's figure out the path. Because if we're way off, again, one of us is probably in the wrong discussion. What that does, now the, the research backs it up, that it builds your relationship on a foundation of trust. And in the end, you end up, again, your sales cycle shrink. You end up with customers that not only buy, but they stay longer and they're more willing to advocate when you lead with your price. And I know there's going to be people listening going, oh, blah, blah, blah. all right, cool. Yeah, there's certainly circumstances where maybe you don't want to, but all of the, the research and all of the data, all the behavioral science tells us that it disarms the buying brain and helps set an expectation so that they can assess whether that tasty juice is going to be worth the squeeze to get it. Todd, can you talk a little bit about weaving in the flossum to the conversation that you're having with the buyer? And I'm hoping maybe you can give me an example. So let's say you're in a meeting with somebody and you know, you've learned a little bit about them. They kind of learn a little about you and they say, well, can you tell me about your business? I think what a lot of salespeople have been taught is to start talking about the logos and why they're great. And I'm curious, like, how would you approach that question? What would you actually say? I'll give you a story. So there's nine of us in a hot Manhattan office at this big apparel manufacturer. This dude starts the conversation in the most New York way possible. Like there was no small talk. It was just, Todd, looking at your competitors, looking at you, how are you better? And like the other seven people, their arms are going up. They're like, all right, here comes the sales pitch. So I, instead of going into that speech, I just said, hey, listen, before we get too deep into this, can I tell you how our competitor is better than us? And I know that sounds crazy, but they just released an add-on to their core solution that not only do we not have, but it's not even on our roadmap. And if that's going to be an important consideration, I would love to vet that out now versus us get six months through this process. You do an RFP, we're flying all over the place, people are spending time. And then at the end, you're like, oh, I wish you had that. Like, can we get that out now? And they're like, yeah, tell us about it. I literally started selling the add-on as though I was the competitor. I was like, here's what it does. Here's the results. Their first customer is in the apparel space. Um, so like, here's how it works. And again, it's, it's not really adhering to our core. So it's probably not something we're going to do ever. Like we would partner on it. They talked about it for a couple of minutes more. They came back and they're like, Todd, totally not important. And you're right. Like, why would we go to a reviews provider for that? And like, I don't know. Like, Apparently somebody must be excited about it. We talked for only about five or 10 minutes longer. 10 days later, they threw out the RFP process, didn't have us fly up. Uh, and the guy calls me to tell me that they've just felt more comfortable with us. And as a result, they were throwing out that process and just going to move forward. And that's when I burst into tears and I was like, I guess I got to write a book. But that, I mean, that, that's the core, right? Help the buyer predict your job isn't to sell it is to sell, but your job is to help them make the best decision for them as quickly as possible, remove friction. And if that decision's not going to be for you, how much time, like we've got to hoard, uh, hoard time like a miser, right? That qualify these deals out faster. If that was going to be important, 
man, that would have pissed me off if six months from now, they would have said that was the reason they were going with the competitor. Well, you are quite literally taking the obstacles that you know are going to come up later on. You're literally running ahead of them 20 feet on the path and grabbing them and bringing them forward now so you can get them out of the way so that later on, you don't waste a whole grip of time further in the process. And so this deal went super smoothly, right? It sounds like it went great. You didn't have to go through the grueling RFP. I remember seeing in the notes, you had something around like, why learning negotiation skills from an FBI hostage, blah, 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 is not good for us today. What's the deal with that? Because I know we have a lot of people who love our FBI hostage hostage negotiation. We're not negotiating the release of hostages from a bank heist, right? We're negotiating a technology deal, a, a product deal, a services deal, whatever it is. And so this idea of why does trans- or why does negotiation have to be any different than the rest of the process? And here's what I mean. Well, let's say you're selling a, a SaaS solution. The, the approach that you take when you're talking pricing, when you're proposing pricing, and then at the goal line is to say, hey, listen, our pricing is based on four things. Uh, there's four things that matter to us as an organization. The first one's volume. And we'll pay you in the form of a discount to commit to more volume. So higher volume commitment, There's discount schedules, we'll pay you in the form of a discount to commit to more. Number two, timing of cash. Turns out we like money, the faster you're willing to pay us, the better it is for us, the more we're willing to pay you in the form of a discount for that. Number three, length of commitment. The longer you commit to our products, technology, services, the better it is for us, more we're willing to pay you in the form of a discount. Number four is the timing of the deal. As it turns out, our ability to forecast is not only helpful for me and my rep and you know, they got a quota. I don't know if you do that. And of course, like every buyer knows you got quotas, but for our ability to resource the business and we've got investors that, I mean, you know that. So help us forecast. Let's mutually align around the timing of this thing. And I'll pay you in the form of a discount to hold to it. When the comes down to the customer saying, hey, I need a discount instead of you Tommy boy in it and go, okie dokie. And like, you know, here's 10%. Instead, you say, hey, we might have a way to get there. Commit to more volume, pay us faster, commit longer, help me forecast. And instead of eroding trust at the goal line, you're building it. Your deals are becoming more valuable because you've gotten out of the business of charity to the customer's bottom line. And your deal, if you, especially if you use that fourth lever the right way, the deals become more predictable too. And so when we've implemented that at companies, I mean, the ROI on that process is like two days. It just, it's magic how it works. And then if you're in a space where there's renewals, you'll find that if you reinforce that enough, your customers will start actually negotiating their own renewals too. And again, for every dollar you give away in the form of a discount, you're getting something of value back. And it doesn't need to be, I need to read your eye twitches and mirror your language and all that stuff. It's just simple. Cards face up. Here's what matters to us. Let's, let's trade. One of the things we talk about all the time is, look, you've got to build up the ask internally And then you've got to trade whatever you need to move that deal forward in exchange for that ask. And so we talked about this in a negotiation play, but we'll say like, look, like what you're asking me for is a lot. So the first thing is I need you to step forward because I'm not going to go and negotiate against myself. And that's the first thing we need in return is we need to know what's going to get this thing done. And then two, we're going to do this thing one time, once. And if you're not ready to sign by this date, 
we should not be going through this ask right now because otherwise my CEO is going to chop my head off and we're both going to lose our chance to win this deal together. And by just cutting through all of the nonsense, you can actually get to the real answer as opposed to just fishing and giving away blind discounts to people without actually having any sense of are they willing to give up and put some skin in the game to actually get this thing done. Todd, one more question I have for you was something you put in the prep doc about putting text on slides and why that should be a big no-no. And I'm wondering if you can talk a little about that. Oh, man. All right. So, um, and there was something else earlier, too, you had talked about with, like, our tendency to lead with our NASCAR slide, like our logo slides and all that. I, I'll, I'll combine both of these for a second. The year of 1620, Francis Bacon, who is the founder of, like, the scientific method, he uh, came up with this idea of something that has resulted in what we call cognitive bias, which is essentially logic is polarizing. When we've got an opinion and you throw logic at me, I will use that logic to support my opinion, even if your logic goes against my opinion. So you throw a logo slide at me and it's really impressive and you're so proud of it. If I'm leaning towards you, I'll look at that logo slide and go, you know what, if they're good enough for them, they're good enough for me right? I'm going to use it. But if I'm against you, I might look at that same logo slide and say, gosh, we're going to be a small fish in a big pond. And I don't really see too many companies that are in my vertical. They're all over the place. Like these guys generalists, like, do they really know? So my point is with each one of your logic slides that you throw in, you're literally polarizing a consensus audience. And that's why you keep seeing that story sell, right? Story sell. Well, they sell for a biological, you know, internal mechanism in our brains that stories and emotion, they bring us together. And in a consensus sale, you need to be telling stories where your customer is the hero, not you. All right, I'll say that again. Tell a story where your customer is the hero, not you. And your story leads to you, not leads with you. Now, to your point about text on slides, this is a new thing that I've discovered that I, I kind of put the two things together. We actually read with our ears. So we're listening with our ears and then I'm reading and basically your brain is reading the words to yourself. I don't know, like if you're reading something, you're basically reading to yourself. So the same processing center is trying to process your spoken word and your written word. Brain is not wired to be able to do that. It, it can't do that. It cannot listen with comprehension and read with comprehension at the same time. And as a result, if you're throwing text on slides, your customer is doing one of three things. They're choosing to read and not listen. They're choosing to listen and not read. Or they're choosing to try to do both poorly. And subconsciously, that exhaustion that it's causing the brain is causing them to completely disengage. So... When I give a presentation, it's always images only, um, or it's me and a whiteboard and we're sketching stuff out. I just like everybody be careful. Your words should be one word here to reinforce something on a slide. If it's a quote, read the quote. But any other words, your paragraphs, you got to get them out of there. So like realize you got to get the clutter off of your slides. They're looking at a tiny little screen now. Get rid of the words tell stories that lead to you, not with you, make your customer the hero and use images to reinforce the words that you're saying. And it's going to make a huge impact almost instantly. All right, Todd, this has been phenomenal. We've got one last question for you. 
What's one belief or piece of sales dogma that exists out there that you think needs to be scooped up, picked up, and dumped into the trash can because it's wrong? There's a data point now that says that it takes 18 touches when you're prospecting to get an executive to engage. Now, there's some people that would look at that and go, damn it, I'm stopping at 10. I got to add eight. I'm like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. Like, why is it taking, why are they rejecting the first 17? That's the question you should be asking yourself, right? There's a reason that it's taking 18. It's because your content and your outreach strategy sucks. I see it in the numbers that we looked at from a pipeline load perspective, where used to think, you know what? A rep at all times needs to have 4X their quota and pipeline at any time, right? And just like, you always got a 4X. Guess what that would cause the reps to do? Get 4X which means 75% of their stuff in their pipelines, crap, right? But we force them to do that. You don't need 18 touches if your content's great. You don't need 4X your pipeline if your deals are great, right? There's an opportunity to think differently. And that's one thing that I'm trying to get people to realize. This has been one heck of an interview. We really appreciate your time. Is there anything that you want to plug before we jump off here? Now, guys, I just it was a blast being on here. If anybody wants to reach out, I... My goal is always the outcome. When I wrote the book, The Transparency Sale, I, I literally thought there was a 50-50 shot that it would suck. But I knew that I wanted to get these ideas out there and it's, it's done so well, which is amazing. But my goal has always been the outcome. So if you've got questions, feel free to reach out to me, connect with me on LinkedIn and uh, just let me know where you heard me. And then again, if you want some more free stuff, I publish a blog, I do videos. You can find it all at transparencysale.com. Beautiful. Everybody go check out the transparency sale. It's one heck of a book. Send Todd 18 different LinkedIn messages telling him that you heard him on the show and stick around for a 60 second recap coming up soon. Your top four takeaways from this episode with Todd Capone include number one, you got to remove all your BS from the journey. Yes, you should do some disco before demo or sharing pricing, but you do not have to rake your customers over coals. Chances are they're probably going to need to get out of your way anyway if they're the type of customer who wants to say software or wants to get pricing in the first five minutes. So just get it out of the way. Number two, to that point, you don't need to hide price. You can get it out early. In fact, you can use it to disqualify early on and then focus on the stuff that actually matters. Number three, when they're asking about your competitors, do not hide, do not badmouth. Tell them all the reasons your competitors are great and then focus on the things that they care about which is where you win. And then number four, negotiation does not have to be so overcomplicated, folks. It's very simple. You anchor them at a certain point, you trade value for dollars. It's not all about saying the last three words or a certain tone and this and that, and that stuff is important. But the principles of negotiation don't have to be so overcomplicated. All right, Nick, how can people help us out? Armand, sometimes when I'm stressed about my pipeline or hitting quota and laying awake late at night, I need to soothe myself to sleep. And the way that I do that is I read reviews of 30 Minutes to President's Club on Apple Podcasts. So if you haven't left us a review. This actionable competitive tactic from Clue is the trap question. Steer discovery toward the winning zone. If we're competing with a podcast that has no newsletter or webinar series, we might ask a trap question like, how do you figure out if those podcast listeners are making their way to your mailing list? And when you're in a head-to-head, there's no better way to prepare for your next competitive battle than with our trap questions and battle card templates from our friends at Clue. The link's in the show notes.
Today's deal acceleration tip is brought to you by Demandbase. If you want to save a ton of time as a salesperson and be more relevant, I recommend you prioritize your prospecting by those prospects who are showing buyer intent. It'll keep you from making a bunch of noise and reaching out to folks who aren't in market, and instead you'll reach out to folks who are in market. Now, we built a bunch of templates to help you prioritize, accelerate, and win with Demandbase, and there is a link to those wonderful templates in today's show notes. Today's show is sponsored by Calendly. If you're interested in accelerating your sales cycle, improving your prospects experience, and booking more demos, there's one scheduling automation platform on the market that does all three. Calendly offers team-based scheduling, solutions and integrations for every department, and lead routing to instantly book qualified meetings from your website and match known leads to reps based on real-time Salesforce assignment. I find it really helpful when I have to book meetings with multiple people on my side so that I don't have to coordinate everyone's calendars. Get started today by checking out the show notes or Calendly.com. I need some new reading material to soothe, soothe my anxiety to sleep. We'll catch you guys next week on 30 Minutes to President's Club. Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Super Cadence by Influ2, which helps cut through the noise of oversaturated prospecting channels. If you want to get your prospect's attention, you got to do stuff a robot would never do. One of my favorite plays is getting warm introductions to the accounts that I'm targeting via salespeople who work at that account. Salespeople help salespeople. Another approach could be using Super Cadence to run SDR ads to put a face to the name. Now, we worked with Influ2 to put together a special toolkit on ways to humanize your outreach, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes. Today's deal acceleration tip is brought to you by Demandbase. If you want to save a ton of time as a salesperson and be more relevant, I recommend you prioritize your prospecting by those prospects who are showing buyer intent. It'll keep you from making a bunch of noise and reaching out to folks who aren't in market, and instead you'll reach out to folks who are in market. Now, we built a bunch of templates to help you prioritize, accelerate, and win with Demandbase, and there is a link to those wonderful templates in today's show notes.